Welcome again to Grace Church. We are looking this week and next week at a text that reminds us that we have a God who turns calamity into gospel opportunity. I'm looking this morning in Philippians chapter 1 beginning in verse 12. I'm going to read through verse 26. Again, I will be looking at this text this week and next, thinking about how our sovereign God turns calamity into gospel opportunity. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith, and that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. As you know, this is one of the four what we call prison epistles, along with uh, Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon. Philippians is written from and incarceration in Rome, in which Paul is uh, awaiting trial. Many would have thought that Paul was, uh, that his ministry was having a great setback, that, that uh, this great apostle was no longer able to plant churches and advance the gospel in the world. And yet for Paul, he is convinced that this calamity has been arranged by God to further the purposes of God, that he serves a God 
who turns calamity into gospel opportunity. As I read through the prison epistles, I'm uh, often struck by what is not said in those epistles. That Paul gives very little detail about his imprisonment. He doesn't talk about how many rats are running through his cell or how bad the prison food is or how lonely he might be at times or how he really regrets uh, the loss of his freedom. He tells us very little about his imprisonment. It appears that Paul is more focused on and consumed with interpreting his circumstances in light of the gospel and in light of the mission of the church. He is overwhelmed by the goodness of God in his sovereignty and his providence, even in his imprisonment. Now, I know we might say, well, Paul was an apostle and you're a pastor, you're an elder, and we expect that you would think that way when, when you're in calamity. We expect that of Paul. But if you know Paul, if you've read Paul, then you know that he would say, follow me as I follow Christ. Actually, in chapter 2, he will go on to say, take a look at Christ, take a look at his self-denying, self-sacrificing love, Look at his incarnation, his death for sinners, and look at that as a model, not just for apostles. It's not just a model for pastors and elders, but Paul says to the Philippian church, let this self-denying, self-sacrificing model that Jesus set forth, let this mind be in you. I think by now we have all become quite skillful and adept at talking about how the pandemic is affecting our lives. We can talk about the social, economic, political, medical, spiritual implications of COVID-19. We've listened to the reports, the news, probably to the point where we don't want to listen to it anymore. But how many of us can talk about what God is doing in our lives in the midst of COVID-19? Can we talk about what God is doing in our churches and in our cities and in the world? Do we have eyes to see how God is using calamity to bring about greater gospel opportunity? I confess, like all other believers, I struggle for faith every day to believe in a sovereign God who's in control of all of the circumstances that accomplish, that, 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 that touch our life. I struggle with faith. I fight to believe. I want to believe in a good and perfect God who is providentially at work in the world, accomplishing his perfect will. But like others, I admit there are times I lose sight of that and I am 
more overwhelmed by the circumstance than I am by the presence of and the goodness of God. I realize, as you do, that life is the testing ground for our convictions. The pandemics of life afford us an opportunity to manifest the reality of our faith that we really do believe in a sovereign and good God who is providentially at work in his world. This week I was reading a portion of the Heidelberg Catechism and questions 27 and 28 stood out to me. Listen to question 27. It asks, what do you understand about the providence of God? And the answer to that question is this. God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed, all things come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. All things come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And then question 28 asks, what does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? And the answer is, we can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity. And with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love for all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. This week and next, I want to talk about God's good providence and how this amazing, sovereign, good God providentially turns calamity into great spiritual opportunity. This morning I want to make one point and develop that a little bit. That we need to believe that God is at work in our calamity. That whatever is touching your life and my life this morning, God is at work. Paul says, you need to know that what has happened to me He's telling us that God allows calamity in the life of his children, in the world at large, but yes, even in the life of his children. What has happened to me? Now you can read that from a human perspective and, and interpret what has happened in human ways. We could say that Paul was falsely accused. He was arrested. He was cross-examined. 
He was, he appealed to Rome. He was sent to Rome and now he's sitting uh, incarcerated waiting for Caesar's judgment. This is the human explanation. There's human causation. There's human explanation as to why Paul is incarcerated. But Paul sees beyond that. When he thinks about what has happened to me, he's not thinking of what the Jews did to him or what the Roman soldiers or Roman government is doing to him. When he thinks about what has happened to me, it's not accidental. It's not random. He sees a divine hand, a divine hand that's behind the scenes, moving the world and moving personal events that touch his life to the glory of God and to the advance of the gospel. Paul was actually one of those preachers who believed what he preached. And he believed what he wrote. We all know what he wrote in Romans 8, where he said, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God before us, who can be against us? And you might say, but Paul, you're in prison. You got the Roman government against you. You got the whole Jewish world against you. But if God be for us, who can be against us? The apostles' imprisonment reminds us that God does allow calamity. Things that from a human perspective we may say, why would God let that happen? But from God's perspective, he is always bringing glory to himself. He is always advancing his mission in this world. And he is always working in the lives of believers to bring them into conformity to the image of Christ. As I thought about Paul's calamity and how people would ask, you know, why would God let this happen to Paul, this great apostle, this great church planner? Two young men came to mind. One of them, his name is Paul Maxwell. And back in the early 90s, in his, young, in his early 20s, a young man, college student at Houghton College, uh, loved the Lord, loved people, loved the gospel, and one night gets in a car accident while in college, and he's gone. I think of Dawn's cousin, Norm Galowich. At the age of 26, he has heart failure and dies. A young man, talented, great athlete, but a great Christian. He loved Christ. He lived for Christ. He was faithful to Christ. 
and God took him. And we might say, why? Why would God allow that? And yet at both of those funerals, the lines of young people that came, who admired, who respected, who were influenced, lost and saved, came to those funeral services and heard the word of God. And many of those young people who had been hard to the gospel, who now look at death right before them, repent and come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. God allows calamity for his own glory, for the furtherance of his missional purposes in this world, and for touching and transforming the lives of believers. He not only allows calamity, but he controls it completely. He controls its origin. To the world, Paul was a prisoner of the Roman government. But if you ask Paul, as he wrote the book of Ephesians, he says, I am a prisoner. I am a bond slave of Jesus Christ. No, Paul, you're imprisoned by the Roman government. Paul says, no, my life is controlled and captured by the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul never got over that day on the Damascus Road when he came to understand that the Jesus whom he persecuted, the Jesus who, who he was chasing Christians and, 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 and persecuting Christians for, that this Jesus was the one who died for his sins. This Jesus was the Messiah. And that day, his life was transformed. And from that day on, his life belonged to Jesus Christ. We know theologically that God was not asleep. The night that that car came around the curve and took the life of Paul Maxwell. And we know that God was not asleep when young Norm Galowich at the age of 26 feels that pressure in his chest and the weakness taking place in his heart begin to fail and he's gone. We know that God could have stopped it. But he has purpose in calamity. If COVID-19 originated in a Wuhan lab, then we know that God's providential and powerful hand could have stopped it from being created or could have stopped it from ever leaving that lab. He could have stopped it from entering Wuhan City and leaving Wuhan City. He could have stopped it from permeating the province of Hubei and eventually leaving the province of Hubei and going throughout the People's Republic of China. He could have prevented it from crossing the ocean from the east to the west. He could have kept it from Europe and from the U.S. God could have kept it 
from knocking on the door of Jose and Ellie Mota and entering their home. He could have, but he did not. Listen again to the catechism. God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds all things so that they come to us, not by human chance, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Paul would say, my imprisonment is not by chance. I am here by my Father's hand, not by chance. As you think about your pain this morning and your discomfort, your illness, your poverty, your isolation, as a believer, hopefully you can say, this is not by chance. But this is by my fatherly, God's fatherly hand. In the prelude this morning, we heard Dawn and Ian and Becky playing, you are a good, good father. Is he? When you're lying on that hospital bed, can we still sing, you are a good, good father? When we spent our last dollar, can we still sing, you are a good, good father? When we sit alone with tears streaming down our face with hearts that are broken, can we still sing, you are a good, good father? And when we stand at that grave saying our last goodbye, can we sing, you are a good, good father. This is not by chance, but this is by your fatherly hand. He controls its origin. He controls the objectives that are in every calamity. To the Jews who had incited the riot that resulted in Paul's imprisonment, there was only one objective, get rid of Paul. For the Romans, their objective was justice, as skewed as that may have been, perhaps the kind of justice, justice that would best serve the interests of Roman government. But to the sovereign God, there was a missional objective and a personal objective. There was a missional objective of getting the gospel of Jesus Christ to Rome. There was that personal objective that God was not done working in the life of the Apostle Paul and conforming him to the image of Jesus Christ. Our calamities, whatever is happening to us, do not change the objectives of God to get his word to the world to bring us to conformity with Christ and to be glorified by all men everywhere. It is sad and tragic that often 
our objectives are counter to and contrary to God's objective. We all want predictable lives and secure lives and pleasurable lives and lives without suffering and those are good desires but often because God wants the mission advanced and God wants the likeness of Christ in our life often God calls us to calamity he calls us to suffering and we must ask are we willing to surrender to that God and say, God, this is not by chance, but this is by your fatherly hand that I suffer in this moment. More than anything, God wants us, as Paul will later, later say in the third chapter, God wants us to gain Christ. He wants us to have Christ as our deepest delight and our greatest treasure. And Paul knew that. And so Paul could say, for, for, for that knowledge of Christ, to know him and to know the power of his resurrection, I'm willing, I have suffered the loss of all things. And I've suffered it willingly. And I've suffered it joyfully. Because I want to know Christ as my deepest delight and my greatest treasure. He controls not only its origins and its objectives, but God controls the outcome of the calamities that we experience in life. Paul puts it this way. This has really served to advance the gospel. My pain, my incarceration, my discomfort, the disruption of, of my, my ministry. All of this is taking place to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you could interview Paul Maxwell and Norm Galowich, both who only who did not live to reach the age of 30. If you could interview them and say, was it worth it? When you look down on that funeral service taking place, when you saw friends and family repenting of their sin and coming to faith in Jesus Christ because they had the opportunity to hear the gospel occasioned by your death, was it worth it for you to die young? God allows calamity. He controls it and he uses it for our good and for his own glory. The word that Paul uses to describe the advance of the gospel is sort of a military term. It's a word that has the idea of, of an advanced troop that is cutting a pioneer trail, a new trail uh, through a previously untrodden forest. They are making the way for those who will follow. That's the word that Paul uses, that God is pioneering. He's doing a new 
work in Rome that has not been done before. That God brought this situation about to advance his work in places where he may not have otherwise been known. Verse 13 speaks about, uh, the ESV translates it, the whole imperial guard has heard the gospel of Christ. The imperial guard consisted of nine cohorts of 100 men each. So Paul is saying that all of them have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Imagine being chained to the Apostle Paul for eight hours, and then someone else another eight hours, and someone else another eight hours. Imagine Paul sitting there and talking to them about why he is there. I don't think he was complaining about his suffering. I don't think he was vilifying the Jews because of their hand in this. I don't think he was talking about the injustice of the Roman government at, at, at this time. I'm sure that Paul is sharing with them God's good, sovereign, providential work in bringing him there to bring to them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says it came to the, not only the whole imperial guard, it came to all the rest. Their families, their children, their grandparents, the lawyers, the judges. God uses Calamity to pioneer, pioneer new work. In the beginning of the 20th century, there was a Baptist preacher by the name of Basil Moloff, who was banned from Russia because of his gospel work. And it appeared that his work, his ministry among Russians had come to an end. And then World War I came. And in World War I, two and a half million Russian soldiers were taken captive by the Germans. Moloff raised money to go and minister to them in the prisoner of war camps. And there he was able to reach men from every province of Russia. During that time of ministry, there were over 30,000 that came to Jesus Christ. And when the Treaty of Versailles was signed, thousands of men went back to Russia as missionaries in spite of all of the oppression of communism. Just from his ministry, over 800 Baptist churches were started in Russia. The calamity of Moloch being banned from Russia, and the calamity of a world war did not stop the hand of our Father who is always at work advancing His mission to get the gospel to those who need it. 
and advancing his work in the lives of his people. He also, Paul says, that his imprisonment becomes a, a witness to the loss. It is clear, he says, it's clear to those around me that I am in chains for Christ. Literally, the Greek text says, I am in chains in Christ. And I love the way it says that. It's not just because of Christ or for Christ. I'm in chains in Christ. That I am in Him and He is in me and nothing has changed about what is real and meaningful and powerful and worthwhile in my life. I am in chains in Christ. My deepest delight and my greatest treasure. When we can respond to this pandemic and this calamity that is touching the world in such a godly way, instead of complaining about the circumstance and the human causes behind that circumstance, instead of complaining, we should be singing about a good, good Father who is in control, whose fatherly hand is at work in my life. He's making me more, hopefully, like Jesus Christ. He wasn't snapping at the guards. There were no tears of self-pity, no complaining, no bitterness against the Jews or the Romans, no bitterness against God. There was simply a resignation that my God is sovereign and what is happening to me is not by chance, but it's by the hands of my Father. And God used that calamity that touched Paul's life to encourage other believers. He says most of the brethren have been encouraged. Some of them probably looked at Paul's imprisonment and said, is it really worth it to serve Jesus Christ? But he says most of them have been encouraged. He says even those who don't like me, even those who might be jealous of the role and position that God has given me. The, their motives are wrong. Their message is right, and I rejoice in that. One day, we all stand before God, not only to give account of the faithfulness of our message, but the faithfulness of our motives. But Paul's not concerned about motives. He says, I simply rejoice that if my imprisonment has caused them to preach the true gospel in more places to more people, then I rejoice that the gospel is preached. From the beginning of COVID-19, I've often said that God is using this to bring both saints and sinners to humility. He's calling his children to repentance and to renewed faith. He's calling the lost to repentance and renewed faith. It's times like this that 
that really expose the sinful cravings and the wrong beliefs that often rule the hearts of believers as well as unbelievers. It brings us to see what is it that I truly value? Did I enjoy worshiping Christ as long as it was convenient and as long as it appeared to bring personal gain to me? Did I enjoy being a Christian as long as God allowed me to get as much out of this life as I could along with Jesus? As times of calamity expose the sinful cravings of our heart, the wrong beliefs that often rule our heart, and God wants us to repent. Paul's not sitting in prison saying, God, you owe me because I've done a lot of good work for you. No, he's simply saying, God, you're sovereign, and your purposes override my desires in life. Your purpose to get the gospel to the lost. Your purpose to make me more like Christ. Your purpose to be glorified. For me to sing, blessed be the name. Whether the sun is shining or whether life is difficult. For me to be able to praise your name. God, forgive me. those sinful cravings and those wrong beliefs and expectations about you bring me to repentance. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment this morning? Whatever is happening in your life today, however difficult it may be, it is not by chance but by God's fatherly hand. Because he wants you as his child to become more like Jesus. And he wants the truth about Jesus to be advanced through your life in this world. Perhaps like me, you need to repent this morning of cravings for something other than what God wants and of beliefs and expectations about God that are wrong. As God's child, you need to be humbled and ask God for renewed faith in who he is as he has revealed himself in scripture. And if you're not a believer in Christ this morning, then that is sad now. But it will become eternally tragic. In this moment, in this time of this world, God is long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And this may be your moment when God is speaking to you and saying to you, it's time to put down your arms of rebellion. It's time for you to repent of your independence and self-sufficiency. It's time for you 
to confess that Jesus Christ is your Savior and surrender to Him as your Lord. Why not do that right now in a simple prayer saying, Father, I repent and I surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord. Father, call us to deeper repentance and renewed faith in Jesus Christ. Father, thank you that what touches our life in this moment is not by chance, but by your fatherly hand. You are a good, good father. In Jesus' name, we declare that. We confess that. Amen.